see at the bottom, this is to the tune of Near to the Heart of God. <clears throat> Jehovah reigns, rejoice, rejoice. God sits upon His throne. With fear and trembling, hear His voice. His purpose shall be done. Jehovah, sovereign Savior, our everlasting King, we gladly bow before you. Your praises we will sing. shall stand and to my covenant I'll be true none can restrain my hand Jehovah sovereign Savior our everlasting King Creation shall 
proclaim his fame, God shall all glory have. Jehovah, sovereign Savior, our everlasting King, we gladly bow before you, your praises we in the same hymn book. 22. Jesus only will sing us to Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I don't know that other tune there. Jesus only is my Savior, Jesus only will I praise, trusting Him I need no other, trusting Him I have all grace, Jesus is my God and Savior, Jesus saves me by His grace. Jesus only, Jesus only, Jesus only will I praise. Jesus only represents me. He's the Lord, my righteousness. His obedience, perfect, holy, is before my God, my dress. Jesus is my God and Savior. Jesus saves me by His grace. Jesus only, Jesus only. Jesus only will I praise. Jesus only died at Calvary, bearing all my guilt and sin. Precious blood He shed so freely has atoned for all sin. Jesus is my God and Savior. Jesus saves me by His grace. Jesus only, Jesus only, Jesus only will I praise. Jesus only rules in heaven, therefore me he intercedes. By his blood I am forgiven, and for me his blood 
pleads. Jesus is my God and Savior. Jesus saves me by His grace. Jesus only, Jesus only, Jesus only will I praise. Jesus only, King of glory, soon will come to call me home. I will see Him, Jesus only, when I reach my heavenly home. Jesus is my God and Savior. Jesus saves me by His grace. Jesus only, Jesus only, Jesus only will I praise. It's all about Him. He is the center of all things. There's no other name found among men by which we should be saved, which we are saved. That <clears throat> the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. All right, turn over just a page to uh, hymn number 25. Sing this, and if anybody has any that you'd like to sing or anything, take that request after this song. <clears throat> Savior, bind my heart to you. We'll sing this to Rock of Ages. Savior, bind my heart to you. Guide my steps in all I do. By your grace and power and love, fix my heart on things above. Give me grace to honor you. Savior, bind my heart to you. And opposed to all I see, things I would I cannot do. What I hate is what I do. Jesus, I would follow you. Say goodbye, my heart, to you. Secure within your hand, 
if my days be long or few, Savior, bind my heart to you. How long, O Lord, must I toil till this flesh returns to soil, till I leave this world of sin and your glory enter in? Lord, I long to be with you. Savior, bring me home to you. How long, O Lord, must I toil? That was kind of hard one to fit in, wasn't it? All right, does anybody have a song that you'd like to sing? Any of the hymns, hymn books, chorus, scripture? Bueller. Alright, if you don't have one, how about the hymn number 28? One more. Eternal Blood, Eternal Land. This is to America the Beautiful. Behold, the Lamb of God was slain by God's own wise decree. The blood of Christ has stood for me from all eternity. God's wrath could not destroy the world. Though Adam fell in sin, because the Lamb was slain for man before the world began, then at the time ordained by God, the Christ must be satisfied. 
guilty, I deserve God's wrath. Long I fought against my master. Hell-bent I was courting death. But the blood of Christ had bought me. He refused to let me die. This poor sinner loved by Jesus must be conquered by and by. At the time which was predestined in the covenant of God's grace, God in mercy sent His Spirit, blessed time of love and grace, to reveal His Son's great merit as the sinner's substitute. I saw Jesus bleeding dying, suffering as my substitute. Precious blood for sin's atonement, justice could not ask for more. I heard Christ cry, it is this no more. Thanks to God for intervening. Grace that broke my stubborn will. Grace that would not let me perish. Grace that rescued me from
Turn over, if you would, back to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be uh, reading our passage where we're at in our exposition. <clears throat> we'll uh, then be back into Romans again. So, uh, Galatians and Romans. Galatians chapter 4, we're uh, down to verse 9 and 10. It says, But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Actually, it's just 9 that we're at. So, let's bow and have a word of prayer, then we'll dive back into what we've been looking at the last few weeks about why Paul is so uh, antithetical against the law. Why is he warning the Galatians against the law? And uh, so we want to uh, dive back in and see what the New Testament we've been looking through, to see what the New Testament, uh, mostly in Paul's epistles that he has written by the Holy Spirit, uh, has written on the subject. So uh, why does he come so uh, emphatic against these things? So uh, let's bow and have a word of prayer and we'll dig back into these things. Father, we do thank you this morning for Christ who has atoned with his blood. We thank you, Father, for all the work that he has done on behalf of his elect. Father, we are in great need of salvation we are sinners who cannot keep the law, whose self-righteous pride and arrogance that thinks that we can, by religion's work, uh, perform a righteousness that's worthy uh, to enter into your presence. But Father, we know because of the spirit that's been given to us and the grace and understanding that's been bestowed upon us, that the word of God teaches that none of us can ever merit your favor by the works of the law doing righteous deeds, even the very things of the Bible we cannot keep because you demand perfection. The law demands perfection and we cannot provide a perfect obedience. But we are uh, humbled this morning because a perfect obedience has been laid to our account because of the perfect work and righteousness of Christ Jesus. <coughs> Thank you for sending him. Thank you for electing us before the foundation of the world to be united to him as our surety, as our substitute, as our elder brother, our kinsman, redeemer. redeemer. Thank you, Father, for giving us to him in that eternal covenant. Thank you for coming and purchasing us with your blood. Thank you for sending your spirit to us to give us understanding, to give us knowledge of that salvation. As we just sung, that blessed time appointed of love that you have given to us, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. Father, we're so grateful for all that you've done on our behalf. Jesus only, Jesus only. 
Jesus only will I praise. Because it is because of him that we are here today. It is because of him that we have been given life. It is because of him that we have all things for life and godliness. It is because of him that we have been given this morning to know the wondrous things of the gospel. And it's because of him that one of these days at his return, this body will be shed and a new body will be uh, given to us. One without sin, one without the curse, one without uh, the knowledge of sin, the, the experience of sin. And Lord, we just look forward to that day that you come again for us. And I pray today, Father, that you might speak and minister to your people here. Lord, we know that the Spirit must get, be given today to teach us. We ask, Lord, that he might come. We ask that you will come by your Spirit and give us understanding. Open up, reveal, shed light upon your word today. Lord, we ask that you would just be with each one that is here. We pray that all these brethren that are here uh, might be edified. Father, we pray for those that uh, have not professed Christ and uh, followed you in baptism. Father, we pray that today, that if they're your elect child of grace, that you might draw them uh, by your word and that you might convert them to the repentance and faith that is in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we just ask that you might bless this service. Help us, Lord, to rejoice and to uh, bring forth praise for your name. And Lord, we just ask that you would help now as the word of God is being preached, that you just might give aid uh, to me as the preacher. Lord, that you keep me from error. Lord, that you would give uh, hearing ears to those that are here. And Father, our hearts also go out this morning to Sister Jacqueline, uh, who's sick this morning and their family is home. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you just might minister uh, healing to their family. Uh, to her, Lord, that you might keep them from uh, getting any worse. Uh, Lord, that you might bless them today. Uh, we miss them and we are uh, asking, Lord, that you are, uh, as the great physician, able to heal those if it be your will. We thank you that Daniel's back with us today and for uh, getting him better and for his family as well, Lord, and for his brother being able to go back to work. And, Lord, we're just thankful for the answer to our prayers, and we know that it isn't because we prayed that you acted or moved, but because your sovereign will chose to do these things, and you moved our heart to ask for them, and that our dependence is always upon you, and that our hope is always in you. And so we know that because of that, we come to you, and you've given us promise in your word that we might approach your throne of grace boldly, and make our uh, petitions known. And Lord that you might uh, do your perfect will. But not as we will. Uh, and so at, Lord we just ask that all these things. Uh, come before you this morning. And that your will will be done. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Alright Paul says here. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements. Whereunto ye desire again to be uh, in bondage. And I asked the question a few weeks ago. Why is Paul so emphatic about this? Why is Paul so worried about these Galatians trying to follow the law? I mean, that to, to us sounds like, well, isn't that a good thing? I mean, don't you want them to try to follow the, God's law? I mean, that's a good thing. 
the thing is, is whenever we try to follow God's law, whenever we look to the law for righteousness or acceptance before God, it is a, <clears throat> it is a, uh, a bondage, uh, uh, that we cannot get out of. Uh, on our own. Christ has died to free us from the bondage of having to keep the law for righteousness or acceptance for God. For God. Of course, it never was intended that way for even the Old Testament saints. They were never uh, accepted or made righteous by their law keeping. All their law keeping did, year after year after year, was show how much they cannot keep the law of God. Uh, if that was the... If, if, if the law keeping was making them more and more holy, then over time there would be less and less sacrifices that was having to be given. But the sacrifices continued. There was the ministry of the of the priest day in day out. The atonement made every year for the the nation, and so it was there as a constant reminder of their inability to keep the law. And so Paul, who grew up. And every one of the Jews that was uh, of his day had all grown up knowing these very things, that they cannot keep the law. Even though they continued to try and they offered their sacrifices, the burden of the law was upon them. They was afraid that if they do this or do that, that they would keep the law. Matter of fact, Paul, was at, whenever he was converted on the road to Damascus, was on his way to persecute the Christians there. Because in his mind, he felt they were breaking the law of God by what they were preaching, by what they were teaching, by how they were living. And so Paul was on his way there to gather them up for persecution uh, because of his zealous religious uh, zeal uh, for the law. And so on his way there, Christ, uh, as we all know, confronted him, uh, converted him, and uh, set him on his way, uh, and he ceased being uh, Saul of Tarsus, the uh, great Pharisee of Pharisees, and he became Paul the Apostle, the preacher of the Gospel and writer of most of the New Testament uh, under the uh, direction of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that Paul, uh, who was trying to persecute those who were, as he thought, breaking the law, come to find out that this law has been a burden his whole entire life. Whenever the law came in, and he seen what the law said, and what did the law say? Did the law, did the law say, do not, do not commit adultery? Yes. Did the law say, thou shalt have no other gods before me? Yes. Did the law say, do not covet, or do not uh, desire what someone else has? Yes, it said that. All those laws that was there, did the, the, did the law say those things? Yes, but what is it that the law actually says in all those things? Do this or die. Do this or die. That was the law. The law said either keep this completely, perfectly, or die. That's what the law said. And whenever Paul realized what the law was saying, when the law came in, he said, I died. He said, I thought I was religious and righteous before God because of my law keeping, but whenever God gave me the understanding of what the law was actually saying, he said, I realized that day that I died. Not that he died spiritually or that he died physically. In his understanding, in his mind, he said that I, I'm dead. 
Whenever the law came in, I died. I died to that uh, ignorance. I died to that unknowingness of how bad I was before God. See, he thought he was good. He thought he was keeping the law. Remember whenever he said, you know, I was the Pharisee among Pharisees. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I did all this. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and I learned all these things, and I was doing all this stuff, and I thought that I was righteous before God. And what Paul, he said, what I thought was gain, what I thought was gaining me acceptance and righteousness before God, I now count that as dumb. All that law-keeping, all that religiousness, all that stuff that I thought was making me right before God, I now count that as dung. Okay, we all know what dung is, right? Poop. You know, he said, I count that as a pile of poop. All my working for religious means, for zealousness towards God in my flesh, was just a pile of poop. It doesn't matter. It isn't going to get me anything. The flesh is just flesh, and it cannot please God no matter how many good things I do, no matter how, how many righteous things that I do, no matter what I do as following this book, my flesh is tainted with sin, and so everything that I put my hand to, it is corrupted. Everything that I put my mind to, my or excuse me, my uh, voice to, is corrupted. Everything that I try to do to please God is always tainted with sin. Therefore, it cannot please God. It's always going to miss the mark. It's always going to be disobedience, not obedience. And so, Paul learned this and he said, whenever the law came in and, and it taught me, that schoolmaster taught me what it was saying, taught me what it was uh, intended for, taught me what Christ has done, guess what? That day I died. I died. I died in trying to work for righteousness. I died to trying to keep the law. I died to myself trying to be the one who is accepted before God by my own works. And I began to trust in Christ alone. I was alive to Christ. I was dead to myself as a way of becoming righteous and I was alive unto Christ in that I trusted Him alone as my righteousness. And so just like Abraham, who had lived in idolatry for all of his years, and then when God called him out of Ur uh, Ur the Chaldees and then came to him personally in the form of Christ, came to him and preached to him the gospel and everything, Abraham no longer thought, hey, I can appease a God by my own works, that the seed of God, the seed of Christ, or the seed who is Christ, he is my righteousness. And he trusted Christ and believed upon Christ for him, and Abraham counted Christ as his righteousness. And that's what we are called to do. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, in the gospel we called you to believe upon Christ as your righteousness and you have become dead to the law and you've become alive unto Christ and so that's what we want to look at today now remember we've been <clears throat> that's why Paul is so emphatic about this your desire to be back in bondage being under the law or trying to keep the law is putting yourself back in bondage to the law and everything that the law demands okay the law demands that you do all of this uh, give you a good example say that you had uh, say that you had a job <clears throat> shoveling. Let's say you had the job shoveling out all, you worked at a dairy farm. I, I had a cousin that used to own a dairy farm uh, in, uh, um, um, oh, where was that at? 
Milfay, Milfay, Oklahoma, uh, owned a dairy farm there, and they had all these cows that come in, and they would milk these cows and everything. Well, all you get hundreds of cows all in these stalls, and they're milking these cows and everything. Guess what? There's a lot of cow poop that gathers up in there. And one guy has to go in there and spray all that stuff off. they got to clean all that stuff out. Okay? So say that was your job, and all you had to do day after day after day after day after day after day is go in and shovel and hose down all the cow poop. As soon as you get there at 8 o'clock, you start, and you're not done doing it until 5 o'clock in the evening. But then one day... Your boss comes out and says, guess what? I'm going to trade your job. I'm going to put you in that air-conditioned tractor over there that's got a stereo, it's got a TV, and you can just get out there in the fields and that thing almost automatically will drive itself and you can sit out there uh, in that tractor and drive from 8 to 5. You get a break at noon, you get to eat your lunch uh, and all that stuff. And so now, there you are, you're, you're out from underneath all the poop, and all the stink, and all the nasty, and everything like that, and then you get in that nice air-conditioned uh, cab, and you're just uh, trolling away, tractoring away. You got it easy. The tractor's doing everything for you. You don't have to do nothing. You just sit there, and it's all been done for you. But then all of a sudden, you decide, you know what, I think I would rather go back and shovel poop. Well, why would you do that? Why would you go back and shovel poop whenever you have an automated tractor that's basically doing everything for you? All you got to do is sit there and, and, and abide in that tractor, and the tractor is doing all the work. It'd be foolish, wouldn't it? How many of y'all would volunteer to go back to the poop shoveling? Any of y'all? Even would, wouldn't you? You like to shovel poop? <laughs> No, we wouldn't want to do that. Well, that's what Paul is saying. Remember he said, everything that I did in the religious manner, and I did it better than anybody else of my day. He said, all of that, I count that as dumb. I count it as dumb. So why would I want to go back and mess with dumb when I've been freed from that? I don't have to mess with that anymore. I don't have to do that for righteousness. Or anything. I don't have to do that. Okay? So that's what Paul is is uh, asking here or, or telling the Galatian church. You're listening to these guys who are telling you to go back to the dung heap. You've been put over here in autopilot mode. You've been put over here in, in, in a mode where Christ has done everything for you. He has performed everything for you. Provides everything that you need. You don't have to worry about anything else all you got to do is abide there and enjoy it. Why do you want to go back to shoveling down? So Paul is uh, warning these people, if you go back to the law, you're going back into bondage. Right now, you're free. In the gospel, you're free. As a child of grace, you are free. You don't have to go and do that. So, what have we been doing? The last few weeks, we've been going back, starting in uh, the first of the New Testament, and we've been working through most of the Pauline epistles, but we've been working through and seeing why Paul is saying that. Why is the law considered or looked on as bad for keeping it? Okay? 
Because for most people, they think, well, that there shouldn't be, I mean, the law is good. Why, why, what's wrong with trying to keep it? And, and don't you want to be pleasing to God? Surely God's pleased with you keeping the law. The problem is, is you're not keeping the law. You're trying to keep the law, but in every instance, in every case, in every way, shape, and form, you are missing the mark because you are in the flesh. And the flesh cannot please God. Cannot. Not will not. Cannot. Cannot. Cannot please God. So Paul, all over his epistles, has written about this very thing. And so let's look today. Let's go back to Romans chapter uh, chapter 7. Now, let, we so far, we have uh, looked at uh, a few things. We started in Acts, remember, um, where the uh, council at Jerusalem had uh, declared there that, hey, listen, you know, the Gentiles shouldn't even need to be told or taught this stuff about the law because they've never been under the law. And so we shouldn't require them or tell them that they're required to keep the law for salvation or for continual preservation because they never was under it and we never could keep it and that's not the message of the gospel anyway, okay? So we've seen that. So the law is uh, is something, and what do they call it? Do you all remember what they called the law? In Acts chapter 15, he said, neither our fathers nor us could carry this, so why should we put a... Anybody? Anyone? 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 Anyone know the answer? Anyone? You guys are dead today. Why should we put a yoke upon them? Not an egg yoke, but a yoke like a like that they put over uh, beasts of burden, like a like a steer or a cow or a mule, that whenever they would go to plow the ground, they would put this yoke, that's the thing that goes over their neck, that's got the ropes and all that stuff that goes back. And as they pull, that thing pulls along behind them. That yoke, okay? That's what it is. Why put a yoke, uh, uh, why, why put a... Uh, a, a, a uh, something that is going to just wear them down. Okay? Why put that on them? So, we've seen that the law is a yoke to them. And so, we don't want to put a yoke on people by trying to teach them that they have to keep the law for salvation or for preservation before God. Perseverance. We also learned that the law is given to us to expose us uh, as as sinners to expose us um, uh, as uh, sinners, but never was intended or never was given to take away sin. Okay, the law wasn't given to take away sin. The law was given to expose who we are as sinners, to expose that nature of sin that is there that cannot keep God's law, and that's what it did. We also seen that. Uh, uh, if uh, the law uh, could be kept, if we could keep the law, then there is no need for Christ. There is no need for Him to die. If there was an ability for us to be pleasing and accepting and saved because of our law keeping, then there actually was no reason for Christ come, to come and die. All we need to do is just keep working on keeping the law. 
But see, the law shows us that we cannot keep it, and therefore the re- the very seeing that Christ came and died for us should tell us that we have to have Him because no one can keep the law. Um, we were told also in Romans chapter 4 that uh, all those who try to follow after the law, the only thing that that does is to bring wrath towards us. It brings wrath towards us. And so, if you want to try to keep the law, if you want to try to preach the law to people, if you want to be a preacher that demands that people follow the law for acceptance or for salvation or for continuance in the faith, then you're preaching wrath upon those people. You are preaching to them uh, something that is anathema. That is that is a curse upon them. They're never going to be able to... Uh, Fulfill that, therefore you are giving them false hope, false security, you're giving them false assurance that they can do something that the Bible clearly says it cannot do. The law brings nothing but wrath. It doesn't give us an ability to do or to be accepted uh, before God. And we've seen in chapter 5 that uh, the law exposes our sin, and we've seen where the Bible said, uh, that the law uh, came in that the offense might abound. Okay, the offense might abound. So whenever Adam was created, he was created in such a way that that sin uh, ability was there already and that it just hadn't manifested itself. But whenever God gave him the law to not eat of the tree, that lust in his heart rose up. That temptation by the by by the the serpent and by his wife to eat of the fruit, and he seen that, and it was good to his eyes, and all this kind of stuff. That temptation and that inner lust. Everyone says it was just the outward thing that tempted him, but the Bible tells us that we are tempted whenever we are drawn away by our own lust, not by somebody else's lust. Somebody else's lust is their lust. That's that's for them to worry about. You sin because you have sinful lust in your heart. And Adam had sinful lust in his heart. Therefore, when he was tempted, that lust was tempted by that. And it was drawn away. And when it conceived, it brought forth sin. Sin brought forth death. And so the law came in to expose that or to show that that was manifest in us. And that's what the law is here That's why we preach the law. That's why we teach the law is so that for the child of grace whose mind and understanding has been given spiritual understanding sees, hey, I can't keep that. I can't keep that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And then it pushes them and and makes them look to Christ alone. Faith is given to us to look away from our self-righteous works and look to Christ alone. So the purpose of the law was so that the offense might abound, so that we might understand how sinful we are, not to make us less sinful. Everybody understand what I mean by that? And then last week we've seen that we are not under the law, but we are under grace. We are under grace. Now today I want us to look into Romans chapter 7, and we're going to be bouncing back and forth between Romans uh, 6 and Romans 7, but... Look with me, if you would, this morning at Romans chapter 7. I want to start reading in verse 1, and I want to read down, because I want you to see, remember now, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, but yet it's the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
Okay, the Holy Spirit is the one who was given Paul the things to write down. These aren't Paul's words that he thought up on his own or ideas he thought up on his own. This is the Holy Spirit. This is God writing to us to tell us what things mean. Verse 1 of chapter 7 of Romans. It says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Okay, so he, his audience was definitely people who were versed in the law of Moses, who knew what the law said. <clears throat> it says, Know ye not, brethren, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. The law has dominion over us as long as we live. Now he gives an example of what he's talking about. He starts using something. This is what Jesus used to do. You know all those parables that Jesus used to teach? Those were, those were, uh, uh, physical stories. Physical, uh, teachings, uh, that were to convey a spiritual meaning. Okay? Here Paul's fixing to give us a physical application to help us understand a spiritual reality. Okay? Verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So the Bible said here that the law says that a woman, as long as she is married to a man, or as long as that man is living and she's married to him, that she is bound to that man as long as that man is living. Okay? And that as long as that man is living, she is to live under his headship, under underneath his, uh, uh, it says there, under uh, the law of her husband. Okay? Under the law of her husband. Now, I don't mean to get off on a bunch of stuff. That doesn't mean that, you know, everything he says that she has to do, especially if it uh, is against the law uh, or against the word of God and leads her into something that would be against the word of God. But <clears throat> what we're saying here is that, she, that he is the head. God is, has uh, designed the family as the husband is the head and the wife and the children are under him just as the uh, uh, church is under Christ. Christ is the head of the church and we are under him. Okay, He is our head. <clears throat> And so he uses the picture of marriage to illustrate this. He's done this in several places, not just here. Okay, uh, We see it in Ephesians as well. We'll look here in a minute. It says, For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man... She shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no longer adulteress, though she be married to another man. So what's that saying? It's saying as long as that man is alive, that woman is enjoined to that man, or is married to that man, and cannot get out of that bond. Alright? They're there together. And, and he is her head for that whole time. And so she, by law, is to be joined to that man until one of them dies. Okay, If he dies, she is no longer 
bound to that husband. She's free from that husband because he is dead. He's dead to her and she's dead to him. Okay? He's not there anymore. So she's no longer bound. But if he's still alive and she leaves him and goes and binds herself to another man, then she is an adulteress. And the Bible and the law, of course, says that thou shalt uh, uh, not commit adultery. Right? She is an adulteress. That means she is cheating, that she is committing adultery against her husband. But it says if he's dead, then that law doesn't abide anymore. We are no longer bound to that law. We are no longer bound to that husband. But we're free from that, and we can go and bind ourselves to another husband and not be breaking the law or being considered an adulteress. Okay? So there is the picture that Paul's given us. He's given us the picture of marriage. Okay? I think all of us might kind of understand and know that, that divorce is wrong. Whenever we are married, we give our vows to each other. What does the preacher generally say? What God has put together, let no man put us under, right? Okay? And so, uh, and we're going to look at this and we're going to see that this is a, why this is so important also, uh, as this, uh, picture of marriage is, 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 uh, here. But look at verse 4. It says, Wherefore, my brethren, in light of what I just said, this illustration that I just give you about men and women, men and women being married and bound to each other by that, uh, by that covenant, okay? Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So here, the word of God tells us that whenever Christ died for us, the elect of God, that by that death, that that, that we died to the law. The law died to us. The law is now dead. We were bound to that law, and under that law, remember in Galatians, at the first part of Galatians, it was our tutor, it was our schoolmaster, our governor. It was over us to govern us, to, to tell us what we were doing wrong. Okay? It was the law that was over us, but now we are no longer under that. We are no longer under the law because the law has died to us. The law is now dead because of the body of Christ. Christ became the perfect, obedient um, uh, uh, surety for us, every, or substitute for us. Everything that was required of us in perfect obedience to the law, Jesus did for us, and so that whenever he was nailed to the tree and hung to the tree, all the handwriting of ordinances that was against us for breaking the law was nailed to his tree. He died for them. Therefore, every broken law that we have ever done or will ever do in the future was all covered in blood by Jesus Christ. He paid the price for all of them. And his righteousness of keeping all the law is then had been imputed to us. So we have the account of Christ, perfect obedience. He is given our account, 
Complete and total sin. Complete law break is laid to his account. He died for that. Therefore, all those sins that all the elect have ever done, ever will do, have all been removed. The law can't grab onto it anymore because the payment from the law, what did the law say? Do this or what? Die. Die. Do this or die. The wages of sin is what? Death. Right? The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus paid those wages of every sin, of every child of grace. So if you're here today and you're a child of grace, every sin that you have ever committed, are committing, or ever will commit, Christ died for those. Therefore, the full wage that sin, or that the law demanded, because of your sin, was paid in full. Therefore, there's no more account for it. There is no more... I have a car out there, I have a house right here, and I bought that, but I still owe money on it. I still owe money. There is still an account open that says you owe this much money, okay? For us, we don't owe any money. And yes, do we have future sins that are going to be committed? Yes, but even those future sins have already been paid for before we even get to them and do them. Christ died for those sins. Therefore, the law cannot come to me two weeks from now whenever I do whatever it is that I'm going to do and tell me that's sin. Guess what? Jesus is mad at you. Your fellowship is broken. He's going to turn his back on you. If you keep doing that, you're going to lose your salvation. No, none of that can be said because the law cannot lay anything to our account because the account of all the elect of God is no sin. The account, whenever whenever God looks in his ledger and opens it up and gets to Michael Smith, he says, oh, there is absolutely not one sin on this page. Complete and full righteousness. Now, is Mike righteous in and of himself? No. In this flesh? No. Is the Spirit of God that is in me perfect? Absolutely. It cannot sin. It cannot sin because of the Spirit of Christ. See, that's why we're ready. We just sung about getting rid of these old bodies of flesh. We get rid of these bodies of flesh that is the very embodiment of sin. When we get rid of this body of flesh, we will be done with sin because the body that we're getting at the resurrection is a body that does not know sin, that cannot know sin. It's a body that is enjoined to a spirit that is equal to it. A sinless spirit and a sinless body brought together to make one whole person. That's what we're waiting for. That's why we desire the resurrection. That's why the elect of God moan and groan within them for the resurrection, for the revealing of all the sons of God, for us to be resurrected to to that uh, gloriousness that we have before us when uh, Christ comes again. And so we see that we are dead to sin whenever Christ died for us. His death is the basis and grounds that we now are no longer under the law, that that law has, or that the law has died as our husband. We were married to the law, but the law died, and according to the law, if that husband is dead, we are no longer bound to it or its laws. 
but we are now free to marry Christ, and we are His bride. We are His uh, wife. Okay, we are His wife. We're going to read about that here in just a second. So it says, "Wherefore, my brethren, ye are all also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ." See, you are not dead to the law by our law keeping, by fulfilling the law. We can never put the law to rest by trying to fulfill it. It had to be by the death of Christ that the law was fulfilled. That ye should be married to another. See, Christ came and died and put away the law so that we could be married to Him. Look at verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But what are we in Christ Jesus when we're married to Him? He is raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto God. What is that fruit? Keeping the law? No, that's not the fruit. A lot of people think that's what the fruit is. They preach that's what the fruit is. Well, if you're born again, then you're going to bring forth fruit of good works, meaning, whenever they say good works, they mean law-keeping. But the Bible doesn't define good works as law-keeping. It defines good works as the work of the Spirit in us, producing repentance and faith, trust in Christ, love for the brethren, love for the doctrine of, of Christ, the Word of God, love for God. Okay, it produces in us these things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith. All these things are the fruits of the Spirit. This is bringing forth fruit unto God. We are bringing forth that cut of fruit, not do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. Because the deeds of the flesh will never please God. But the works of the Spirit, they do please the Lord, because they are His works. So, we see here that we are dead to the law and married to Christ. He is now our husband. Turn with me, keep your finger there in Romans, but turn with me back to the Old Testament to Hosea. It's right after Daniel's book. Not this Daniel. Prophet Daniel. Right before you get to Joel. If you get to Joel, put her in reverse. If you're at Daniel, push on the gas pedal. Move forward a little bit. The book of Hosea. Let's look at chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Look down with me if you would. Verse 19. Now remember, hopefully you all know who Hosea is and the story of Hosea and uh, his wife. Hosea um, took a wife. Her name was Gomer. Not Gomer Pyle, but Gomer. And Gomer committed adultery on Hosea over and over and over again. She was constantly going and committing adultery against uh, Hosea. She would go sleep with other men over and over. Hosea would always go 
and always bring her back, bring her back. Till one day she went, and then she was taken and was going to be sold into slavery. Okay, she's going to be sold into slavery, and Hosea, even though she had done all kinds of cheating on Hosea, Hosea still loved her and went and bought his own wife, who was his wife, went and bought her from the slave traders and brought her back home. Okay? Now this whole thing, of and this is a real, this isn't just a story, this actually happened. These were real people. Okay? This really happened. But this is a picture, Hosea is a picture of Christ. And Gomer is a picture of the elect of God. We continue over and over and over again to commit adultery upon Christ by thinking that we in our own self-righteousness can please Him or be accepted by Him by trying to keep the law, by looking to the law, by by going to other churches that are preaching another gospel. I mean, we're committing adult spiritual adultery against Christ Jesus because we are going and listening to these other... That's why Paul was being emphatic with these Galatians. Hey, listen, that gospel is not the gospel. That's that's some uh, That's a false gospel. And whoever's preaching that is not a minister of Christ. Let them be cursed. Let them be cursed. They're going to, that gospel is a gospel that is full of curse because it's telling you to do something that all it can do is curse you. That's why he doesn't want you to listen to, to it. Don't go to it. Don't try to perform it because it's not going to work for you. And so that is committing adultery upon Christ whenever we over and over and over again think that our righteousness or our acceptance or our staying saved or persevering uh, in the faith comes because we are doing this law. This is the picture of that. Over and over and over again, Gomer cheated on her husband, cheated on her husband, cheated on her husband, cheated on her husband. But what did what did Hosea do? Every time brought her back, brought her back, brought her back, even paid for her to release her from bondage. And now let's read. This is Gomer speaking here. Or this is God speaking. It says, And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel, and I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not uh, obtained mercy, and I will say to them, which are not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. And so, we see the picture of God loving his people. We see this in the picture of God in Israel, over and over and over again. God, uh, Israel was sinning against him, and doing what they shouldn't, and God would send them off into bondage and into slavery. They'd come back and they'd turn to idols again and they'd keep going back to these idols and everything. And God kept bringing them back and kept bringing them back. So we see God's eternal love for us in all this. 
What did he say there? I will betroth thee to me unto me forever. Okay, God is not ever going to turn. Christ is never going to give say, okay, that was it. You keep saying you're going to quit sinning, and you don't. You told me that was the last time you were going to do it. You didn't. You did it again. You didn't stop. You kept going. So, you know, man, it's been 9,975 times that you've done this since the time you said you wasn't ever going to do this again. I think that's more than enough. I tell you what, I'll give you to 10,000. If you reach 10,000, that's it for you. I'm not going to forgive you anymore. No, that's not how God works. That's not how Christ's sacrifice worked on our behalf. Christ took all our sin. Every one of them. How many sins do I have? I don't have a clue. I do not have a clue. I've got a lot of them. But all I know is every one of them has been paid for and God does not require anything by my hand anymore because Christ took them. Now there are folks that, you know, they want you to keep tabs with God that your fellowship depends upon you keeping short accounts with God. I told you the story about how I used to stay up at night worried because I couldn't remember all the sins that I'd committed that day. So that night, whenever I laid down in bed and prayed and was asking forgiveness for the sins that I committed that day, I was worried because I couldn't remember or didn't know if I even, you know, had knew of some sins and that I'd committed sins against God and, and couldn't remember them all. Did I remember all these, Lord? I, I'm praying. And so I'd pray that blanket blanket prayer. And if there's any other sins that I don't remember, bring them to my mind so that I can ask forgiveness so that you will be able to forgive me of those sins. And listen, I, that was a burden on my heart over and over again, every night. Why? Because the terror of the law was still weighing upon me because I can't keep the law of God. But the gospel had never been revealed to me that all of that is gone. You're not required to have all this law keeping to stay in fellowship with me or to be accepted by me. It was already taken care of and done for in Christ. And so we continue to look to Christ in all those things. Well, here's the picture that I will betroth thee unto me forever. That speaks of our eternal union with Christ, right? If, we, if we've been betrothed to Christ, we've been betrothed to Him forever. It's an everlasting, I, love, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. He had purchased for us eternal redemption. That redemption, while it, it was the basis of it, the grounds of it, everything that was there to secure, the satisfaction of it, the accomplishment of it, was in time whenever Christ came and died. But brethren, that was an eternal redemption. It was a redemption that began before the foundation of the world and will continue after the destruction of this world and the coming in of the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be eternal. That redemption can't be broken. It's there forever. And just like the marriage is supposed to be, that whenever they come together and they become one man and one or one man and one woman come together and they become one flesh, that is to be forever. Whenever we were united to Christ, it was forever. Never to be separated. We can never be separated from uh, the love of God. Who hath laid anything to the charge of God's elect? We can never be charged with anything because it is God who justifies. God has justified us before Himself in the, in the, in the work of His Son. 
And so that we don't have to worry about not being accepted anymore. Gomer, Hosea's wife, I'm sure that day after multiple times of going and becoming a harlot, a prostitute, sleeping with other men, that day when she was about to be sold for slavery, she probably figured out of anybody in the crowd, she would see anybody, but she probably wouldn't see her husband. That would be the last person that would be in that crowd bidding for her. To pay money for her, who she had cheated on over and over and over and over again. But who was the only man that came and bought her? Her husband. Because he loved her. Listen, Christ loves his people, and no matter how many times we sin, now that's not saying it's okay to sin. Don't sin. You know, we don't want to sin. Okay? I I say don't sin as if we can stop, but what I'm saying is, is our mind, we don't want to sin. So I'm not telling you just don't worry about sin. It should grieve our heart. It should We should sorrow over our sin. But no matter how many times we sin, <coughs> Christ's love is greater. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. Christ's love for his elect covers the multitude of of your sin. And just like Hosea, over and over and over, continues to go back and gets his wife who is leaving and cheating on him. We continually are leaving and cheating on our husband Christ, but yet he keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and bringing us back to himself. Bringing us back to himself. The picture in the New Testament is a shepherd going after his sheep. The sheep continues to wander off and he goes and gets it. It wanders off, he goes and gets it. It wanders off, he leaves the 90 and 9 and he goes and gets it. The sheep wanders and what does he do? He goes and gets it. The shepherd loves his sheep. The husband loves his wife. Christ loves his people. And it's an everlasting love. He says, I will betroth thee unto me forever. I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness. He says, I have come and I have married you. And now you are righteous because I am righteous. We are in union together. This woman has my name because she's married to me. We become one flesh. She is my wife. Everything that is mine is hers. You see the upturn of that whenever you see people getting divorces, instead of everything being one, now everything is being split. They want to split away. The wife wants to take back a different name. The uh, wants to take split up all the stuff. This is my house. This is my car. This is my bank account. This is my this. This is my that. This is my thing. Oh, we're one flesh. Everything that is mine is hers. Everything that's hers is mine. We share everything. Christ is ours. We are in union with Him. All of his obedience is mine. All of his sacrifice of death, that's also mine. Every bit of riches that he has is mine. Every claim that he has in heaven as the inheritance of God, that's ours. We are joint heirs with Christ because we are united with Christ. That woman gets everything that I have when I die, including my debt and my bills. She gets everything when I die. And you, because you're my children, when she dies, it all goes to you. Whatever's left of it. If there's anything there. See, that is what Christ has done for us. There is a covenant there. 
Christ covenanted before the foundation of the world for His people. They are my wife. I have betrothed myself. I have made a commitment of marriage and love to these people. Therefore, there is nothing going to separate me from committing myself to that love. Nothing is going to separate me from loving that wife. She goes away. I keep loving her. I bring her back. The Bible says that the love of Christ constrains us. See, this is what, whenever you start preaching about not keeping the law and us being free from the law and, and dead to the law and all this kind of stuff, one of the things that people always come up with is, well, then you just be, think that you can live life however you want to live, that you're not under no law, that you're going to just live. And what are you going to do? People are going to live lawless. They're going to go out there and live uh, all this uh, sin and everything like that. They don't know what grace is all about. They have no clue. What they are, they're telling on themselves about the, the desire in their heart, how they covet to sin, is what they're really doing. The Bible tells us that the love of Christ constrains us, not the law of God. The law of God doesn't constrain us. The law of God exposes that sinfulness that we are. But the love of Christ, it constrains us. The fact that God has shed His love abroad in our heart causes us to desire not to sin. We don't want to sin. And so a lot of times, God will restrain our sin through shedding His love, letting us experience the love of God in our heart. We love Him, therefore we trust Him. The Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It's not talking about keep my commandments, mosaic laws that I've given. It's saying, if you love me, trust me. Look to me alone. The commands that Christ has given us to, to walk by is to look unto Christ and to love His brothers, which is the brethren. That's what we do. How do we love the brethren? Well, we can do physical things to show our care for them, but how do we love the brethren? Through doctrine. Through fellowship of the doctrine of Christ. We fellowship. How do we... We, we fellowship with churches, and what do we say? We fellowship with them of like faith and practice. What does that mean? That means that their doctrine is like us, and their practice of that doctrine is like us. We believe that people should be, whenever they profess Christ Jesus and, and, and they believe the true gospel, that they should be fully immersed and baptized. So we believe in... Believer's baptism. The Bible teaches that if you believe upon Christ, that you need to be baptized. And you're to be baptized fully underwater. Not just a little sprinkly of water on your head. Not a little wave of you know, mist in your face or whatever. You need to be immersed. Because it shows forth what Christ has done for you. It's your profession of doctrine. What is your doctrine? That Christ died for me. That He resurrected for me. And I walk in newness of life to Him. Spirit of God. That's what your baptism shows. Okay? What do we believe? We believe that the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is here and that He has given in two, two elements there. Bread and wine. Not bread and grape juice. Bread and wine. And we observe the Lord's Supper with bread and wine with those who are of the members of this household. Not our household, Smith household, but of the Sovereign Grace Baptist Church membership. We come together for that. 
What do we believe about doctrine? We believe in sovereign grace. We believe in election. We believe in predestination. We believe in uh, aton- uh, full atonement or particular redemption. We believe in uh, sovereign grace, irresistible grace. We believe in uh, preservation of the saints and the perseverance of the saints through the preservation of God. We believe in all those things that people call the tulip. We believe in all those things. That's our doctrine. So what do we do? We fellowship. How do we find fellowship? Well, do I fellowship with the Catholic down the street? No, I can't find fellowship with him. I don't show forth my love to that because that is adultery against Christ. Do I find fellowship with the Christian church down the street that may be preaching a lot like us, but not quite, but preaching free will and all that kind of stuff? No, I don't find fellowship with that. Why? Because that's adultery against Christ. That's another gospel. I cannot do that. Do I have fellowship with other Baptist churches just because they're Baptist churches? No, because the majority of Baptist churches do not preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They preach Jesus plus whatever it is that I have to do. They preach conditions. They don't believe that God has predestinated everything, including sin and evil. They don't believe that Jesus paid for all the sins of just His people and that every one of His people are saved because of what He did, not because of their accepting, receiving, believing, trusting, raising their hand, or doing any other condition. They don't believe that. So therefore, we can't have fellowship with them. What is love for the brethren? Love for the brethren is love in the doctrine. We share the doctrine. We encourage each other in the doctrine. We correct each other in the doctrine. We rebuke and reprove each other in the doctrine. We lift each other up with the doctrine of Christ. <clears throat> I know a lot of times you guys make make jokes about whenever Brother JC and other preachers are getting together and we're talking and everything like that. And I understand it's not nothing harmful that you're meaning, but that is the picture of what fellowship is. The fellowship of sharing the gospel between each other. Not just sitting around and having coffee or eating a meal. Having fellowship is rejoicing in the gospel with each other. Encouraging each other in the gospel. And see, here we see that anything other than the true gospel is adultery to Christ. We have been married to Christ. And therefore, Paul is saying, if you go back to try to hold hands with a law based system with a free will based system that's what free will is is saying people wonder well why are you so bad about free will because free will is saying that I now am in the place the arbiter of my destiny I'm the one who decides my destiny God has done all he could do and he's made a plan of salvation but it is only if I believe that that plan is then enacted in me that makes me the hinge pin the cornerstone that makes me the one who is in control of the gospel, whether it's effective or whether it's not effective. Jesus didn't actually save anybody on the cross. He only made salvation possible, and it is only if you do this, then that salvation plan begins to be enacted, and it's at that particular time. That's a false gospel. So the free will gospel that says, I could choose or not choose Jesus, is a law-based system because it says, I can do things by my own self-righteousness that's going to be pleasing to God, or I can get by in life by my own free will and do my own thing, it's up to me. Therefore, it's a law-based system. 
It's not of grace. It's of what you do. That's why we reject free willism. That's why we reject the gospel of decisionism. Because it is not a decision that we make. It was a decision that Christ made. And He covenanted it for His people. And His people will be saved. It's not a maybe they'll be saved. They might be saved. They might choose otherwise. No. They will be saved. All that the Father hath given me shall come to me. Hosea, was there any way that Gomer was going to go somewhere else and be with somebody else? Nope. Her husband was going to go get her every time, every time, every time. So why is Paul so emphatic? And why does he give the uh, the picture of marriage as a uh, as a uh, uh, a teaching about the law? Well, as long as the law is enacted and is alive, then we're bound to it. That was our rudimentary, elementary uh, relationship. We were bound to the law. But now the law has died because of Christ dying for us. See, the law died by the body of Christ. That's what it said right there in our passage, didn't it? Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that so that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. That word even there is just there for clarifications. So that you might be married to another to him who is raised from the dead, meaning to Christ. Christ died for you so that you are now released from that law and that husband and you're married to this law, this husband. Christ's law, Christ is your husband. See, that is why Paul used the picture of marriage. See, brethren, we are not married to the law anymore. And if we try to go back to the law for righteousness, for acceptance, for fellowship, then we uh, are committing adultery upon the one who loves us. The law doesn't love us. The law doesn't love you at all. It wants to condemn you. Christ is the one who saved you. He loves you. Look in Ephesians chapter 1. We're just about done. Ephesians chapter 1. <coughs> Y'all should be able to quote this by now. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as He hath chosen us in Him. There's our union with Christ. Our union in Christ doesn't come whenever you believe in Him. And I know that's going to raise the feathers of a lot of reformed people, uh, a lot of sovereign grace people who believe that our salvation begins whenever we hear the gospel and believe. That's not when your salvation began. Your salvation began before the foundation of the world when God elected you. It says here, that He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as He has chosen us. That's election. All the spiritual blessings given to us is according to election. 
if it isn't, if you're not elected, you're not getting the recipient, uh, not the recipients of the rest of salvation. Salvation begins with election. You say, well, preacher, that's an isolated verse there that you're reading, and that verse right there uh, can actually be mean something else besides that. How about Second Timothy one nine and ten? Who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ. Past tense which was given to us in Christ before the foundation of the world. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who have abolished sin and death and has made life and, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, our salvation is an eternal salvation, and it begins in eternity past with election. God electing a people for himself. Now the securing of all that election of grace is by the finished work of Jesus Christ whenever He came and died on the cross. But everything before the cross was secured just as much as everything after the cross is secured. Why? Because in the eternal covenant of grace, the Word of Christ, the Word of God, the promise of God to redeem that people was good enough that God declared they are just because you will perform all things that is needed for them. Brethren, that's the gospel. The good news of a salvation that cannot be touched with any hands that was outside our works in eternity, in Christ, and eternity. It doesn't even touch us except for our experience of it when the Holy Spirit in us reveals Christ to us by conversion. When He's granted repentance and faith, giving you spiritual life, spiritual understanding of all the things that has been done for you. But look at that. It says, according as He had chosen us in Him. That is when we were put in Christ. When, when, when Adam was created, he was created with his wife already in him. He was created with his wife already in him. She had not been made manifest yet, though. But she was there. Matter of fact, God said uh, that uh, that He uh, called their name. The word, it says there. And He Called their name Adam. God made Adam, both male and female. Well, the female hadn't been manifested. The wife hadn't been manifested. But she was in in Adam before she was ever brought out of his side when that rib was taken out and God made that woman out of what was in Adam. She was there. She was manifested later, but she was there. She was in him. And that's a picture of us in Christ, brethren. We are in Christ Jesus. The life of us is in Christ Jesus. The life of the elect is in Christ Jesus before we're ever manifested in flesh. Just as the life of Christ, as God, God was there, spiritual, invisible, before He ever manifested Himself in the body of Christ Jesus. But in the fullness of time, God manifested Himself in flesh. And all the fullness of the Godhead came and dwelt in Him bodily. And in that body, Christ Jesus died for His elect people. And we see here that by that body, everyone that's united in that body, which is all the elect, 
from all time, from all time back, all the time forward, that whenever he died in that body, that all the people of God died to the law in him. We are no longer bound to the law. That's why Paul was saying in chapter 4, that's the rudimentary thing. That's the elementary thing. We shouldn't have to keep going over this. The law was there to show you you need Christ Jesus alone, that you'll never make it. You need Christ. So why are you going back to the elementary thing that's only going to keep telling you you need Christ? Why are you running from Christ, who is your husband? You're an adulteress running away, running away, running away. Why do you keep doing that whenever the very rudimentary, elementary thing is that this will never satisfy you? Listen, those other men never would satisfy her. She kept going to them over and over and over and over again. And her husband kept going and bringing her back. And it wasn't until she finally came to herself that she realized that she would remain here. This is where I'm loved. This is where I want to stay. Gomer did that. She finally come. God give her an understanding that why am I keep running away from the man who loves me? This is why Paul is using that as an example. This union, his wife is in him. His wife was there when he died. Therefore, every one of God's children has died to the law. And if we've died to the law, why do we want to go back to it again? As adulterers. In Isaiah 54... Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband. Thy maker is thy husband. Child of grace, thy maker is thy husband. Christ is your maker. The Lord of hosts is his name. Christ is the Lord of hosts. Thy maker is Christ. He is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Christ is your redeemer. Who is your husband? Not the law. Not Moses. But Christ is your redeemer. Christ is your husband. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. Notice there that Christ fulfills all those positions. He's the Maker, the Lord of hosts, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman, forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. See, what's he talking about? He's talking about that point whenever we have been given spiritual understanding. For a little bit, he forsakes us and lets the weight of the law come upon us so that we feel the grief of the law condemning us. 
And then he brings the gospel in. See what he says there? For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God, for a small moment have I forsaken thee. Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsaken thee. So it's not talking about that he's turned away and going to let you go. What has he done? He said, for a, for a moment, I let you to yourself. I have left you to feel the weight of the law against you and what the law is saying against you. For a moment, I left you there to understand that. I never did leave. I never did go away from you. But I forsook you in such a way as to allow all this to flood your mind and your experience so that you might know. It says, for a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. So even though we come under the law and we begin to feel the weight and the curse and, and the, the penalty for sin upon us, and the grievousness nature of that we can't keep it, God doesn't leave us there. That He eventually brings the gospel. That's why I say, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. There was a time whenever we were under the law, whenever we were, as Galatians says, there was a time that we were under the law as a tutor, as a schoolmaster. It was teaching us something. It was governing our life in such a way of showing our inability and it was there for a purpose. God had forsaken us for a little while, so to speak. But then He came and He gathered us through the Gospel. That life and immortality was brought to light, was made manifest, exposed by the preaching of the Gospel. Before the Gospel came to us, we just thought, well, we're doomed. I can't keep this thing. I ain't going to be able to keep this thing. I have so much sin what am I going to do about all this sin? I'll never be able to do enough good to counter all the bad. <clears throat> but then life and immortality was brought to life when the gospel came to us. Brethren, the preaching of the gospel doesn't give life. It brings life to light. The life that's already there. The life that we already have in Christ Jesus is there, it just hasn't been manifested. The life of Eve was already there, it just hadn't been manifested yet. God had to make a separation for a short time, and then whenever Eve was brought forth, she was united to her husband. She was already in her husband, but she had to be brought forth and introduced to her husband, and what does the Bible say? They became one flesh. See, there never was a break in the union but there was a time when Eve had to be brought out and made manifest. And we have to be brought out. We're called out. As if Eve was called out of Adam. Give me that rib. Called her out of Adam and made him. Guess what? We are called out. We are called out. And then we are made manifest. How are we made manifest that we are His children? By faith. He gives us faith. To trust in Christ alone. To trust in our husband. To be bound by his law. Which is... What? Obey the law? No. His law is believe on the Lord Jesus. And love your brethren as yourself. That's his law. That's how we're made manifest. The gospel. 
What we believe about the gospel. What gospel we believe. That's what makes us manifest as the children of God. All those that are out there that are believing other gospels, besides the gospel of free and sovereign grace, they may be religious, they may be zealous for a God, but all they are is misguided and they are not the ministers of Christ, according to Paul. They are not preaching the gospel, according to Paul. Which is according to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote this. So yes, they might look religious. And to our eyes, they might look like they're trying to be a Christian. But according to this, they're not. They're not a believer yet. Now, they might be an elect who has yet to be called out. But they're not a believer until he believed the gospel. It is only then that we can call them believers. It's only then that we have fellowship with them. It is only then that we can know who our brethren are is by the gospel, by faith in the gospel. Not not to get life or to get saved. We're not saved whenever we believe. We were saved in Christ Jesus or because of Christ Jesus. But it all began in eternity. I know that there's a lot of people disagree with that. But brethren, that's what I've been given to understand by what the scriptures teach and what the Holy Spirit has revealed for me to know. I can't know what I don't know. I only can know what I do know. And what I do know, I only know because the Holy Spirit's opened that understanding to me. If there's another way, I'll be glad to look at it. But I've looked at the other way. It says you're saved when you believe. And that's not according to the Scriptures. So, here we are. Anybody got any questions? Comments? Father, again we come, once again, as always, humbled by the gospel. We also, Father, look at the intricate nature of the Word of God and how everything is tied together. 66 books, 40-some authors, led by the one author, by the Holy Spirit, speaking of one person, Jesus Christ, and His salvation of his elect. God, we just stand in awe, not only of the mercies of God upon sinners, but we stand in awe of the word of God. And Lord, we just thank you for giving it to us to reveal who you are, to reveal who we are, and to show us Christ. So Father, we just pray that you continue to minister the word of God here among these people. I thank you for them, that you brought them together today. Again, we lift up our people that are not here. For Jacqueline and the family. I don't know who might be sick by today, but as of yesterday, Jacqueline being sick, Lord, I ask that you would uh, give her healing. I pray for uh, Kevin and Alessandro. I pray, Lord, that you might keep them from getting sick, if that be your will. But Lord, if you desire to allow them to continue in this sickness for a period of time, we pray, Lord, that you'd give them grace through it all to trust and look to you we thank you again for all that you have done for us what you have done on our behalf it's in christ's name that we pray